Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Back to school. The good, the bad, and the flat out busy. Part 3. I wonder if you thought about the most common thing that people say to you as a teacher or if you're someone who works in any capacity in a school, what is the most common thing that people say to you? Well, for me, it's either one of these two things. The first is, are you enjoying your holidays? Or, won't be long to your next holidays? And despite me being about 20 years in the job, I've, I've actually yet to find a decent retort or a sucker punch response to it that doesn't make me seem bitter or annoyed and look it doesn't annoy me that much really to be honest anymore it used to I suppose when I started off but for me it's more annoying that I wish I was able to say something back something really good however like most of you I got a break from it this year now I'm not sure really what the point of this introduction really is except to say that's an opportunity to use a phrase that I was flat out busy. Welcome along to the final part of this back to school special where I have analysed the good and the bad of school reopening. Now some of you might be wondering what I what I mean by the flat out busy. Um, well basically just to explain it in some way or another I'm, I'm celebrating who I would call the flat out busy in this final part of the episode but in an interview with the Irish Independent during the summer when we weren't on holidays by the way a journalist interviewed Norma Foley uh, who was just in her new position as the Minister for Education for a couple of weeks anyway uh, the journalist was Hugh O'Connell and uh, he asked her a number of questions and Norma Foley didn't actually answer them uh, properly or at all, some might say, and cut him short uh, within about 20 minutes of the conversation, claiming she was flat out busy. Now, when I read the article, I just fell in love with that turn of phrase. It's such an Irish expression. And in some ways, it kind of sums up to me exactly who the people I'll actually be celebrating in this episode. Celebrating is obviously the right word, of course. To me, flat out busy refers to the agencies and organisations that spent the last six months scurrying around, scurrying basically, attending Zoom meetings about meetings and making statements about statements they were going to make. They were neither fully good nor fully bad um, and they definitely had the best of intentions. But for all their time since lockdown, they didn't actually manage to achieve very much or in some cases, they were so flat out busy, nobody heard from them at all. So the flat out busies are the people, I think, that tended to spend their time in the media telling people about what they were about to get up to and when they weren't doing that, they were flat out busy telling people what they had already done. Sound familiar? Well, the king and queen for me of flat out busy were the two ministers for education since lockdown. As different as Fianna Foyle and Fianna Gael like to think they are, if an alien landed on Earth and was asked to analyse the difference between Joe McHugh and Norma Foley, it would likely be that they would return the verdict that the only difference they could ascertain was they were a different gender to each other, but in all other aspects they were exactly the same. 
The marriage of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael has been as dull as one might have expected. And while I'm not really that political at all, when it went, I presume it's all going to end in tears and some big fight, I can see both parties are still going to suffer for having this illicit affair for however long it lasts. Not because of anything they might do, but more so that any differences people thought they might have had from each other will surely be put to bed. Um, because really, to all really, except for their most staunch supporters who will insist there's a huge difference between them. But anyway, enough political analysis for me. You don't come here for that. Uh, you come here for terrible puns and amateur analysis, all in lo-fi sound quality. Well, if you're someone who likes bell curves, well, apart from being a very strange person, you probably did notice that you could graph the amount of news that came from the Department of Education offices from March to, till August and it would actually come out as a perfect bell curve. So from March, April and probably half of May, the Department of Education were deathly silent. So that was low on the bell curve. Then they were very noisy for June and July. So they went uh, high in the bell curve and then very quickly went deathly quiet for August. Um, in the middle of all that, there was a handover from Fianna Gael to Fianna Foyle. That happened somewhere in there, but that didn't make much difference to the bell curve at all. Now, if you were also someone who likes cliches, you would have loved lockdown. Now, while we were all learning new terms like flattening the curve, Joe McHugh and Norma Foley were littering the media with gems like clear and concise and significant funding in almost every sentence they expressed. However, what, what, what did they really do except waffle their way through the lockdown is what I'm kind of wondering about when I'm thinking of the flat out busy. And the, and the trouble is that while they were totally definitely flat out busy, they failed to produce guidelines for coming back to school anywhere near on time. They also fell well short of resourcing the reopening of schools properly. And in fact, I would lay much of the blame for the turn in public attitude towards teachers um, at the very door of Joe McHugh in particular. Joe McHugh, if, and I probably, <laughs> I, I harp on about this probably too much, but I, I, I'm going to harp on again. It's my podcast anyway. Uh, Joe McHugh promised clear, concise guidelines uh, for reopening schools on May the 28th within two weeks. Um, and public attitude at that time was probably at its highest level. I think I've spoken in one of the episodes uh, of this about how, uh, how parents uh, were, were sending love bombs to, to, to teachers. Please take my children back. Um, and I, as I said, I spoke, spoke about it in, you know, pleading with teachers um, to, you know, to take their children away from them. And, and when we deserved our wages to be any, we deserved anything we wanted. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I, I'm repeating myself. But anyway, two weeks later, after getting a bit of a breath after saying on May 28th that in two weeks I'll, I'll have a clear and concise guidelines, the announcement came in the form of a circular which con contained a list. I, I couldn't believe when I saw it. It actually contained a list of things they were going to do. Not, not a list of things that were going, that, that, that uh, you know, that I, I don't mean a list of what was to happen. It was a list telling us they were going to make a list of things to happen if this makes sense i i mentioned before that i i'm not sure um if there's if there was an, if there's actually a, a universal agreed sound for the sound of disappointment 
But if there was one, it would have been heard across the country. And it quickly turned to outrage, obviously, which came in the collective sounds of Jen O'Connell, Kira Kelly, Ivan Yates, Catherine Donnelly, Brenda Parr and other journalists. Remember those names? <laughs> it feels like a bit of a lifetime ago that these guys were headline news for us, particularly Jen O'Connell and Kira Kelly, who were sort of the enemy of all teachers. Um, but anyway, they decided that because um, Joe McHugh didn't release any guidelines, really, we basically released... I don't know what you could call them um, a sort of a uh, a procrastination of, of sorts um, but basically because our union um, in a way well, basically what they did I suppose Kira Kelly know that they basically blamed teachers and unions for whatever reason and it didn't really help that our union didn't express any form of disappointment by the way I mean this is I suppose I this is where I can see where you know you put some, put yourself in someone's shoes there Jen O'Connell and, and Kira Kelly I mean they as far as they're concerned um, you know unions are supposed to protect their workers um, and the fact that it was such a terrible plan and the INCO didn't say a word about it um, and didn't even express a bit of disappointment in fact they were they were sort of I, I would say I'd go as far as saying defending it um, the die was basically cast there's another cliche for you um, and teachers were back to being lazy good for nothings who just didn't want to go back to work now Joe McHugh then went off again for a little while and then came back and again uh, in the form of someone called Norma Foley who basically picked up the baton and as you know secured significant funding so now all of our schools are clean um, ultimately though the Department of Education pretty much got away with it they can't I couldn't put them in my bad episode because you know ultimately they got away with it because people who work in schools are very compliant and we did whatever it took despite the knowledge going back to school wasn't safe given class sizes and no extra i suppose staffing and knowing that if we ever if we actually even get to midterm break we'd be lucky um and basically we got our meter sticks out and we showed everyone what actually flat out busy really means um and in in some ways it sort of got the department of education off the hook because when they finally produced their plan in late august uh, or sorry in early august um we did what we do as teachers and we just were compliant and we just do it um and you know who got the <laughs> i mean the, I, I was reading in the newspapers that uh norma foley uh may be the next uh um number two uh, in fina foil the deputy leader uh because of her performance in reopening schools um but anyway i digress moving on um i just need to go back a little bit um, just back to that sound of disappointment that I that I was talking about that w- that could be heard across the country. The thing was, it was heard in all of two places. Now I mentioned just I I mentioned there that the uh, the INTO offices was one place where that sound of disappointment wasn't heard. But the other place it wasn't heard was in another little office, um, at the IPPN's office, the Irish Primary Principals Network's office. Now the INTO are the primary teachers union in case some of you who are in teaching in the last decade mistook them for a government agency and you'd be forgiven for doing so I have to say for the last decade that is what the INTO have effectively been as far as I can see and the IPPN for those of you who don't know is a network of primary principals who have through no fault of their own become the official representative group of primary principals and this is how they're referred to when principals write to the Department of Education um, to give out about something and often we are now referred to our representative body the IPPN now the problem with the IPPN is that everybody thinks they're the principal's representative body even though they don't think they're the principal's representative body and they don't actually claim to be 
the principal's representative body. They claim to be a support network for principals and they don't actually represent principals insofar as they have absolutely no pull whatsoever. And this is not me criticizing them. It's just a fact. They're a support group. Um, they're not a representative body, but they've accidentally become that, I think. Um, and as I said, they've no pull whatsoever in terms of driving change. They just don't have that, you know, as, 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 their, um, as their job. Um, they're a support network and they do that job really, really well, I think, in my opinion anyway. However, whether they like it or not, there is now an expectation that they are more than this and they've got themselves into that situation where they, where the Department of Education claim that this is what they are. And they aren't doing a very good job of denying it either, I suppose. And it's, But the thing is, they can't deliver on it. They're not able to deliver on being a representative body for principals because they don't represent us. Now, they can be flat out busy themselves, making noises when they're invited into the discussions. I mean, that's what they do. I mean, they, they're invited to the top table. They're up there speaking, um, you know, at the primary education forum and so on. But if things don't go their way, they actually can't do anything about it. And again, I'm not criticising. I'm just saying this is this is just fact. Now, I believe the Department of Education, I think anyway, I believe the Department of Education treats them, treats them very badly. I really do. Um, I And I mean... I mean, one one example that comes to my head as I'm as a uh, as I as I'm saying that is, I don't know if people remember the child protection uh, policy that came along. Uh, basically, we all had to update our um, child protection policies a couple of years ago, and basically, the Department of Education didn't come up with the templates for schools to do that. They said, "Oh, we'll provide the templates for you," and then they didn't. And there was a deadline. It was a national deadline. And basically, what happened was the IPPM basically said, "You know what, lads." will take this on and they went around the country and they and they basically got two or i think it was two two of their senior members of the board who went around the country to every education center and basically trained every single principal they provide they made up templates they uh, provided all the training uh, and everything else and a couple of weeks later the department of education said ah we, we've actually we've got our templates now don't you can't use the IPPN's templates use ours and it was just complete time wasted and it was as if it felt to me like they it, like they, they saw the IPPN as dirt you know they didn't I just thought it was I thought it was terrible however um, I, I, again that, that that's just I, I, I that's how I feel the department there's a couple of other examples I'm, I'm sure if I if I thought about them but I mean they do treat them badly in my opinion and it's no wonder that this happens but as part of the reopening of schools the INTO and the IPPN were basically invited to the table to put the plan for reopening schools into action and according to the various youtube messages uh, that i've seen uh, uh, from uh, people who from the leaders of both organizations uh, they appear to say that they met twice a week every week with the department of education and i suppose this is as good a time as any to bring in the into to this sort of discussion i i i guess you know um because they may they may be very disappointed not to have featured in either of my previous two episodes on this, the good or the bad. Now, I could focus on how the INTO failed to ensure that we got back to school safely because that is their job as, you know, where the IPBN doesn't have any role in our in, in representing us, the INTO certainly does. Um, but everybody except for themselves already know that, that they didn't get us back safely. And to be fair to them, there's so much wrong with the education landscape that they allowed that, that, that basically they that they allowed to happen before the pandemic that trying to fix these things just simply couldn't have happened anyway even if they had wanted to 
Look, the INTO hasn't represented its members' demands for at least a decade, ignoring their members' voting. For example, the PS. I mean, for example, only a couple of days ago, uh, they put up. I mean, what? I just don't even understand how, what they're thinking half the time. They put up a tweet, basically a sort of celebratory tweet, basically saying that the last bit of the PSSA deal is going through this month, and you know, kind of celebrating it. The members voted against the deal and they just ignored the vote. And also, obviously, uh, another time where they completely ignored their, uh, their members voting, Drihid, 91% of their members didn't want Drihid to happen. So they basically ignored that, set up another uh, forum where they got people that they knew were uh, friendly towards Drihid. And anyway, look, mo most people in know know the story behind that. So anyone that might have expected anything except for kind of Donald Trump style boasts about how great they think they've done, I believe you know is is you know is unrealistic really you know i think i think that's exactly what we should have expected I, d I kind of felt sorry for them a little bit when the media was blaming them for stopping the reopening of schools if you heard the jen o'connell's and all oh the unions are stopping the schools from opening because they had nothing to do with it they're actually doing the opposite in an extremely limited way so ultimately it would be actually very unfair for me to judge them on what they should have done so I'm judging them on what they could have done based on how weak they've been, if that makes sense. That's why I couldn't completely call them bad. And on balance, to be honest, they did a very, very good job of supporting the government's aim of reopening schools by whatever means, even if it meant putting people's lives at risk. And much like Norma Foley and Joe McHugh, it's almost impossible to see any difference between the INTO's role and the Department of Education's role. And I guess the same could be said for the IPPN during the pandemic. So I'm just going to, rather than just kind of tear them apart, because I don't think that's reasonable either, I think I've been fair enough so far. There were just two really, actually I'm actually going to say three really curious things that happened um, it, between March and actually this week um I, I i i i haven't written the third one in my script here for this so i i i'll try and uh, explain it as best i can but the first two things one was in late march um and early april so i i want to say just as a disclaimer before i was actually on the board of the ippn during the time of the first two curious incidents um but i had no decision in either of these curiosities and i'm not saying that to get out of anything i just didn't have any decision in either of these two situations so the first kind of curious thing I felt from the IPPN and the INTO was this weird I, I can't think of any other word than, than bizarre fra flags for frontline workers campaign which just sounded like it was dreamed up in a brainstorming session at the very last minute before the 40 minute time limit on the Zoom call came along and, and one day out of the blue and I, 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 I just I remember this schools were sent this really poorly designed photograph asking them to ask their pupils to fly flags outside their houses in their county colours to show solidarity with frontline workers. Now, I'm absolutely sure the intentions were very good and all, but this was done at a time where the only thing teachers wanted was advice on what to do now that they were out of school and being asked to teach remotely with no access to books or resources. And instead of giving them any advice or any help, they were told to fly flags outside their house. I, it was bizarre. Now, unsurprisingly, uh, the campaign was a total failure, um, with almost all agencies to put their name to it, quietly hoping no one noticed, um, except for the IPPN in, 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 in some, I don't know why, declared it a major success, which, which it wasn't. It, you know, come to think of it, the campaign reminded me of 
do you know, do you know what it reminded me of i suppose and I, I hope this doesn't come across too cruel i know it already is but I'm, i i have to say it it reminded me of you know one of these situations okay the managers of a company have a really important meeting okay and um they're all sitting around the the boardroom and they're discussing you know look what are we going to do about this really difficult situation this is a big a, a big big thing you know the, the place is closing down lockdowns happening blah 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 and basically at that time they've some transition year student uh in the room as well because they're giving him work experience at the time and you know and, and basically they said look we better give him some real life experience um so you know they they he's at the meeting and because it's kind of fashionable these days to ask the guy doing work experience their opinion about things someone you know one of the men or women might have said to them well ty what do you think would be helpful to keep everyone's spirits up you know you're a young chap what what do you think you know and then ty says i i how about you put flags outside their houses the other um curiosity was the school meals program um and I can't get my head around it still. And the fact that everyone, apart from the, the organisation that's actually responsible for providing school meals, was flat out busy trying to run some sort of scheme for children who would have received school meals. Now, now I've never seen so many people so busy trying to sort out a problem that had actually nothing to do with them, while the Department of Social Protection didn't really do anything at all except put the odd roadblock in their way. And in, in possibly the best analogy of the cliche, too many cooks spoil the broth, uh, there's another cliche for you cliche lovers everyone from the IPPN to Sinn Féin to Unpost got over involved in what ended up being a fairly simple logistical arrangement which most desk schools would have been able to deal with themselves if they to be honest if they put the same amount of effort into planning for the reopening of schools we would have had the plans back in May probably by the bank holiday at the start of the month and the thing is i wouldn't mind if this was the only thing the various agencies had to do at the time but there are so many other things that weren't happening in late march and early april um and and that was the support for school leaders in running their schools remotely and support for their teachers for con for the continuity con continuity sorry i can't say that word continuity of learning and you know it just it just was bizarre i just couldn't understand it I, i'll come back to that in a second the the third curiosity happened this week and i i still can't understand it okay um basically the department of education has uh, wrote to all principals in the country this last week um uh, at this time of the recording basically looking for the principal's phone number so that they could ring them at any time outside of hours um, if there was to be a case, if there was an identified case of COVID-19 in their school, now, at any time. Now, I absolutely understand that the Department of Education might need to inform a school of, you know, a positive case, but this would be at any time. So this basically, you know, uh, effectively means that principals would be on call 24 hours a day. And while I absolutely accept that this is weird times and everything else, it just felt to me um, a little bit too much to ask of one person to manage. Because in some ways, if you weren't available for whatever reason, and there's lots of reasons why a principal wouldn't be available. For example, they could be sick or looking after someone who's sick, or it could be something more trite than they're out with their family for a meal 
it could be their wedding anniversary and they might be out with their husband or wife it could be um it could be something as silly as they might just fancy a few glasses of wine of a night at home and all of a sudden there's a phone call after you're halfway down a bottle of wine it doesn't be it doesn't seem like a very good idea and it also to me it's a bit too much i think to ask of one person to uh, to be available 24 hours a day and i thought logically both the INTO and the IPPN would come out with some sort of a statement to um, say, look, this isn't very fair. Um, surely there's another way. Maybe there could be a situation where the Department of Education could provide funding for, I know it wouldn't be very much funding, but a token towards buying a, a some sort of mobile phone that would only be used for that purpose and it could be handed around a school i'm sure volunteers would would help the cause i mean if everyone had it for a week you know at a time you'd have a rota or something like that or at least it would give a little bit of a break uh to just one person to but um and maybe that like it's early days because this only came out last week maybe the into or the ippn will come out and say something before friday i i've certainly tried to uh, I've, I've certainly approached them and asked them to do that uh, my understanding is the into will not be releasing a statement uh, my understanding is the ippn might be releasing a statement but i just found that a very curious sort of thing that th- because ultimately i don't understand why they wouldn't it just would seem a bit bizarre now i know it's not as bizarre as the other two things uh but it's probably and it's probably just raw in my mind um and maybe it sounds like i don't know i don't think i'm whinging i don't i i, I don't mind uh I'm, I'm definitely not shy of work Um, i just feel encroaching 24 hours a day in my life seems a seems 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 too much of an ask like just and it's not even that i'd be getting lots of phone calls maybe i will maybe i won't it's the anticipation that every time my phone buzzes I, I think I may have to basically I, I'm there it's that low level stress I don't know people anyway look I, I'll go back on script because um geez I think I'm better when I'm on script um <laughs> anyway I was talking about the second thing there about the continuity continuity of learning I told you I couldn't say continuity um but it brings me to the uh but basically back in uh, late March and early April while people were scurrying around looking uh, to, uh, to get the school meals program uh, sorted for the Department of Social Protection um nobody was le- thinking about teaching which is kind of what our job is uh, which brings me on to uh, the next flat out busy organisation I'm going to leave the IPPN and the INTO alone I've, 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 I've gone on about them enough uh, for now um, it's uh, the PDST um, and I've mentioned them already in a couple of the uh, uh, previous episodes um, because basically when schools are basically given a couple of hours notice they were to close um, uh, back in March one would have to give a little bit of leeway to everyone for not knowing what to do for a couple of weeks at least and no one expected it you know i guess you know no i mean we did get just a couple of hours notice i mean we didn't expect the whole country to shut down and no one could have planned for it in fairness and in situations like this one does have to be fair and accept that sometimes a shockwave like this can render anyone into a state of freezing where they're basically unable to do anything because the situation is so overwhelming which if you can remember it totally was it was extremely overwhelming and there are some people who, for want of a better word, bask in crisis situations. And in these times, they come to the forefront um, and they make the big decisions. And in terms of lockdown, names like Tony Houlihan might come to people's minds. And some would even give credit to Leo Radcliffe and to Simon Harris for getting the tone of this lockdown absolutely spot on. I mean, I'm no, as I said, I'm not 
a politician person and and certainly I wouldn't if I was into politics I wouldn't be a Fine Gael person but even the most anti-Fine Gael people have to admit they both did a very good job of leading the country through the most worrying times and there weren't too many people out there that could have said Leo Varadkar didn't do a very good job on St. Patrick's Day with his State of the Nation address. And in the education world, we covered a number of organisations that led the way, especially the education centres. And in footballing terms, they were the Lionel Messi's in his heyday, sickeningly good at what they do and making everyone else around them look terrible, which is kind of like how I think the PDST must feel. Basically not being Lionel Messi in his heyday, basically being the defender he nutmegs. You know, they both do the same job, but, you know, they just didn't do it very well or as well as the education centres. And I didn't have the heart to put the PDST in the bad part of the episode, partially because the NCSE were so bad, they deserved the entire episode dedicated to them, but also because they'd had some flashes of playing well, you know. And in footballing terms, maybe they were the Andy Carroll of education. you know that that might be cruel i don't know um but and i don't know who 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 that's cruel to whether it's andy carroll or the pdst anyway lockdown should have been the pdst's opportunity to cement themselves at the as the most important agency in education particularly during the start of lockdown now they could have done so much in terms of preparing teachers for teaching remotely they could have even endeared themselves to parents around the country by making little film clips of them teaching certain concepts for example they could have finally made skullnet useful by making making curriculum content but they didn't they just didn't in fact I honestly don't know what most of them did and to be fair to the technology end of their wing they did quickly produce advice for tools for remote learning and it was mostly out of touch advice and they didn't channel what teachers actually needed but if you were a complete novice who was actually able to manage navigating this really badly designed website there were some reasonably bits of good advice albeit highly conservative Now, I can't be too harsh on them, as I said, because the PDST tech side of things is an extremely conservative wing of, I don't know, wing of what? Wing of the department. Uh, And it has been really since its inception. I've been around really more or less since its inception. And as some of you know, technology and education is an area I I probably can safely say I have a fairly good knowledge about. And I've given a number of courses for the NCT as it was known before being re- uh, I suppose being <laughs> being rebranded as this much sexier sounding PDSTTIE um, I think did I say that right um, anyway I remember I, like I remember back in the day when interactive whiteboards were starting to come on the scene and the PDSTTIE or the NCT as they were actually refused to acknowledge them and continued to promote visualizers and slates um, and whether they were right or not I mean wasn't the point uh, I mean rightly or wrongly teachers wanted interactive whiteboards and they refused to budge on this until it became too ridiculous not to accept that interactive whiteboards were just simply a necessary ICT tool in the classroom. I kind of wondered, does anyone still have a slate? Anyway, similarly, uh, the organisation have come up with so many roadmaps and frameworks and things like that for technology. They never, and they never ever get off the ground in spite of how much they push them, but they never seem to have their finger on the pulse. It's just annoying in some ways and lockdown lockdown would have been a brilliant time to push the use of technology in the curriculum but they they just stuck to these conservative guns and plodded away flat out busy it was the same in every curriculum subject where almost nothing was produced for teachers until schools reopened and a nippy little booklet was released by the PE the PE wing of the PDST now I think the PDST will get the chance to redeem themselves when we go back on lockdown 
I assume we'll go back on lockdown. So hopefully this time they'll actually get it right and produce what they should have produced. They have some of the, I mean, I, and I, I mean this sincerely, they actually have some of the brightest minds in education in there. And they need to allow them to blossom and do what they're good at, rather than holding them back to this template they insist they use all the time. I, I must say, I, I mean, I, I, even though I did some work for the PDST in the past, the most frustrating thing about it was, is you, were, you, you basically had to give a message that you didn't quite believe in yourself. And... I know a thing or two about ICT and it just became far too frustrating. Um, I, I kind of feel it was another opportunity I, I, I probably let go because, or not let go, that I just wasn't, I, I possibly would have done a bit more in the PDST, I guess, if, 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 if I just was able to shut up really, I suppose. But anyway, we're running out of time uh, for this episode. I've probably gone way over time already. What am I at? Just over the half hour. Uh, so I'll uh, give a few special commendations because I, I mean I've given most of my, uh, my my flat out busy awards to the right people that are the two ministers for education the IPPN the INTO the PDST so there are a few a few um, commendations to organizations that may have been so flat out busy that we didn't even know they existed um, at the time so congratulations um, because the most silent organization for me was NABSME I think that's how you pronounce it I'm not sure if they actually even have existed for the last couple of years but they were deathly silent they were as deathly silent i would say as the ncse um almost well the ncse weren't silent they just continued to dismantle special education nasmi are supposed to actually represent boards of management for uh for uh, for, for that have special education in them so special schools and um schools with special classes that they represent their boards of management i haven't heard a word from them um you know during during the entire lockdown at least with ncse they just totally dismantled the, the the whole of special education i don't know what nancy were doing anyway that there's what they they were my top of the list the ncca were very quiet too and um, perhaps because they're trying to keep the organization from falling apart um I, I, what are they on their, their their third ceo in the last two years or something anyway the teaching council didn't have a lot to say uh, to its members either uh, during the time um, in fact their only action was to continue to blunder their way through drihid um, with their ill-judged attempt not to allow NQTs count their workdays during lockdown towards being inducted before making a U-turn, which they've yet to apologise for. Another group that were very quiet were the National Parents Council, who seemed very happy to step back from lockdown and just kind of emerge um, to join in the chorus of send them back to school uh, when Joe McHugh didn't release uh, his guidelines, clear and concise guidelines. Anyway, they generally have nothing nice to say about schools and National Parents Council, so maybe it was a good thing we got a break from them for a couple of months, but that aside. Um, patron bodies were also very quiet, I have to say, but I guess there wasn't much they could really do because they, um, and I think sensibly, uh, they uh, rightly, I, I think sensibly allowed the CPSMA um, kind of take on the voice of all patron bodies. It can get very noisy in there. Um, so uh, the CPSMA were the, were the people allowed at the table, and I think they kind of did a reasonable job to be fair to the cpsma i haven't mentioned them at all uh but uh i mean i wouldn't quite call them the good because you know but they certainly weren't bad um so i guess um they're all my little awards but i'm going to give uh one more award and if there was an award for the single best moment of flat of what i'm calling flat out busy it's going to go to my friends in the INTO because they were so flat out busy on their Zoom calls to Joe and Norma 
that on the day that the guidelines were finally produced, the Friday evening, on the, I think it was July 27th, which basically left out swathes of information on teachers' work conditions in light of, you know, things like leave due to COVID-19. Um, what did the INTO do an hour before the guidelines were published? So they would have had the, they would have produced these uh, guidelines with Joe McHugh, or sorry, Norma Foley, Joe McHugh and the various other stakeholders. What did they do an hour before the, 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 the um, guidelines were published? My single favourite moment. <laughs> they shut their offices for two weeks. Amazing. <laughs> they, they actually shut their offices down for two weeks. And what made it even better was after they rejoined us two weeks later, with everybody kind of wondering, what are we going to do? They were actually met with, surprisingly, they were met with a huge backlog of calls from their members and emails from their members, many of them to do with being at a high risk from returning to work. So in true INTO style, guess what they did when they had, they had this huge backlog, they closed their offices for two weeks, everyone emailed them, so they had this massive pile. What did they do? They decided to blame everyone else but themselves for the crisis they basically made for themselves. They actually gave out about MedMark. Uh, I, I just, I sometimes, I, I, I don't know. They're brilliant. They're so fun. Anyway, over these last three episodes, I've tried to explore which organisation stepped up uh, during this time to get us through the lockdown and made the reopening of schools uh, less stressful, despite the very, very poor plan, I admit, uh, which still can be summed up with a single emoji, in my opinion, which is the fingers crossed emoji. The government are reaping what they've sown, as we've said, for the last decade. And despite this, schools are continuing to cope and fill in the gaps for the continuing problems that the Department of Education have allowed to happen and the continuing support they've received from stakeholders to continue making our jobs more and more onerous. Schools rely on stakeholders to stand up for their rights because they can't stand up for themselves. We are 3,250 private entities. We we have stakeholders like the INTO to stick up for us basically. We need them to stand up for us. And believe me, I've tried to stand up for myself and it just doesn't work. You can't do it on your own. And I could give another half an hour of examples of where I tried to stand up to various agencies, particularly Tusla, and it just doesn't work. So basically schools are forced to look after their own show and hope that their bodies, that their actual representative bodies can do something to hold back the tide. And at the time of recording this, um, at the time of recording this, last week, uh, the Teaching Council wrote to all principals to celebrate the fact that as of this year, Drihid is now fully implemented in all schools and the only way an NQT can complete their probation year is through Drihid. Now, four years ago, 91% of INTO members voted to stop Drihid from coming into the system. 91%. That's not even a, that's not even a close call. And despite this, the INTO worked against its members to get Drihid over the line, which they duly did. So with representation like this, is there any wonder why the system is the way it is? I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to this episode insofar as it's impossible <laughs> that it's, it's possible to enjoy an episode uh, that kind of turned out a bit more depressing than I'd hoped, although I did find the INTO closing their offices for two weeks uh, quite quite funny to 
despite how depressing that was um look if you have enjoyed uh this episode or any of our previous episodes uh it can this podcast can be found on itunes spotify or any of your favorite podcasting apps by searching for on shaw's podcast or if i were the minister for education on shaw.net i'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so you can get the episode the next new episode earlier than everybody else i'm beginning i'm going to be uh releasing them now every friday evening around 5 59 to instead i used to uh up until now i was uh pushing them out on a wednesday morning uh for the midweek slump but i think in celebration of the department of education circulars on a friday at 5 59 i think that's the new release date for my future episodes uh we'll hopefully be going back to normal um with our episodes um from next week uh and i look forward to joining you then with um uh, possibly an episode on the stakeholders um unless something amazing happens uh, <laughs> before between now and then uh listen if you uh, are in the mood i'd love you to review this podcast nicely please uh, so as you can find it more easily look i'll leave you to it thanks so much for listening and uh see you next time bye bye